what do you get when you cross a college newspaper editor, a comic book store manager, and a degree in communications and mass media? Yep, you guessed it, editor for a comic book publisher. James Lucas Jones took a job working in web development for Portland-based comic book company Oni Press in 1999 and hasn't looked back since. James rose all the way to his current post, editor-in-chief, helping foster a slew of Eisner and Eagle award-winning and nominated books under his watch, including Brian Woods' Local, Ray Fox's One Soul, and Brian O'Malley's Scott Pilgrim. We talked to James about what a comic book editor's responsibilities are, the effects of digital publishing on the comic book industry, Billy Pilgrim versus Scott Pilgrim, and much more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to Scripts and Scribes, the writer's podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're talking with Oni Press Editor-in-Chief, James Lucas-Jones. Uh, thanks for talking to me again today, James. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Oni Press is a, a, a creator-owned comic book publisher, similar to like a Dark Horse or an Image. Um, can you discuss maybe a little bit about how the submission process works at Oni? Um, how do you receive submissions? Do you prefer a few pages or a whole book? And I know uh, you don't accept them on the website anymore. But you mostly do it at cons and things. Um, a treatment? Yeah, I mean, we, we are a closed sub- submission publisher uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. We are uh, solicited submissions only. Um, for us, you know, it depends on the project that's coming in, but for the most part, uh, I, I like to have a, a one-page overview, uh, some character breakdowns, a more detailed beat-by-beat outline, and then if it's a new creator uh, who doesn't have a lot of published work or whose work uh, we're not familiar with, you know, I like to see some sample script or sample pages in there, too, if it's a cartoonist. Oh, cool. Um, now, being a closed submission process, how would somebody who is sort of a newer writer, artist, creator, how would they get through that barrier uh, to meet you, to submit to somebody else through a referral? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's largely, you know, how, how we find people is through referrals from mm-hmm. uh, other working professionals, creators that we have a, a good relationship with. Um, we're also uh, involved with uh, various uh, educational institutions. Um, uh, you know, just last month, uh, one of my editors and I did a pr- presentation for uh, the publishing program at Portland State University. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been out to the Savannah College of Art and Design's Atlanta campus once this year already, and then uh, Jill Beaton, one of my editors, is getting ready to head out to Savannah next week for another round of, of uh, portfolio reviews and, and meet and greets with potential uh, cartoonists and artists. Um, you know, we we uh, pursue a lot of people who are maybe not comic people by trade. Um, mm-hmm. We have some projects uh, coming up, uh, you know, with a variety of, of talent, uh, talented people who uh, made their name or made their career in working in other mediums. Um, I mean, even our, you know, our, our biggest uh, uh Couple breakthroughs, uh, you know, would probably be Brian Lee O'Malley and Greg Rucka. And Rucka, you know, was an established uh, prose novelist before mm-hmm. he ever published Wide Out with us, and you know, worked on Wide Out with Steve Lieber here. Um, 
So, you know, we're constantly looking at uh, talent from other mediums that we think, you know, uh, people who are doing uh, web comics and mini comics and, and doing, you know, comic work at, at other uh, small press or indie houses um, or, or in the mainstream. Um, you know, we, we cast a pretty wide net and we uh, are constantly looking for uh, voices that we feel like would be appropriate for what we do uh, at our publishing house. Right. Now, what is the ownership policy like at Oni? Are there fees that creators incur? Is it more of a sort of a profit-sharing system between creators and the publisher or you guys? Yeah, we're um, we're almost an entirely a creator-owned company. The only mm-hmm. IP that uh, Oni or uh, any of our um, you know primaries own is the uh, Oni logo uh, and name. You know, we have the copyright and trademark on that, but that's, mm-hmm. that's really it. You know, we dabbled in licensing from time to time, and uh, even when we've done that stuff, it, we've tried to do it in a way that is, is still very creator-centric and creator-driven. Um, and in terms of the ownership stake, uh, our, yeah, our creators retain you know 100% ownership of the trademark and copyright of their work. Um, uh, we do have a sister company that uh, operates out of Los Angeles that you know we work with on uh, helping um, adapt and and place uh, Oni Press uh, titles and, and books into other media. Mm-hmm. Um, we so we do manage those rights during the uh, publishing contract, but uh, it is it is a, a partnership with the creator, and they are still. Uh, the the copyright holder at the end of the day, right, right. Um, now, in terms of submissions and things, you know, obviously a lot of it comes through referrals or you know through random uh, talent searches, like you had mentioned the Savannah uh, Art Design Center, something. Uh, um, yeah, the Savannah College of Art and Design. Right, right, right. Um, now, some editors that I've spoken to told me that they're fairly brutal with aspiring comic creators saying it's better to be honest and truthful rather than sort of sugarcoat any sort of rejection. Um, what is your philosophy on that? Obviously being brutal, being a relative term, you don't need to be nasty about it, but um, rather than just encouraging people who they view as not having the right stuff per se uh, in their opinion, um, they just come out and and and, and yeah. You're yeah, just... I mean, I, I you know, we we try to be honest with people and, and identify issues that we don't think are working. Um, yeah, like you said, there's there's no reason to to be mean spirited about it. And mm-hmm. Like, despite what you know, uh, others may think. I don't think anybody working in comics editorial or, or doing talent evaluation in comics is, is gleeful about tearing down. Uh, the stuff that is uh, subpar or that is not to their liking. Sure. Um, you know, for us, I, I think n- normally there's usually at least some bit of uh, you know positive reinforcement and positive encouragement that you can give people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I uh, yeah, I, I mean, for us, it, it's finding that happy medium, and and definitely, you know, we definitely don't want to sugarcoat or you know, make people think that they're uh, job ready or, or uh, you know, ready for prime time, so to speak, uh, when they aren't. Um, but, I, you know, I think 
you know, tearing people down doesn't do us any good either. And, and there, there are ways to communicate, you know, things that people need to work on while also highlighting, you know, the, the uh, things where even if they're not perfect, they're at least heading in the right direction. Right, right. Now, there was something you had mentioned to me, um, which I, I found sort of prophetic and, and completely unexpected. Um, we were talking about uh, putting together a project. And uh, Robert Kirkman had mentioned that uh, a good way to get uh, your project out there as a writer, um, a comic book writer, that is, uh, is to team up with an artist and have an artist draw the story because as, as a medium, comic book scripts aren't really uh, viewable as a form of entertainment, as a form of, of, I mean, it's just a writing sample. And it's hard to, it's much easier to get an editor to look at a visual representation of what your book would look like drawn by an artist. So he recommends teaming up with an artist and doing a, a sample of your, of your project. But you would mention something which I thought was really, really fascinating is that what happens, and this happens occasionally apparently, when the artist is not up to par with the story idea and that can hinder the actual project. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's it's tough and it's definitely a, a tightrope that has to be walked. I mean, Robert's absolutely right. It's way, way easier to uh, evaluate quickly a you know set of comic book pages than it is a set of script pages. Um, but at the same time, it's also, uh, in terms of the writer, it can be a little disingenuous because you don't know, um, you know, where things are breaking down and where things are succeeding and, you know, where the writer may be really excelling and the artist just isn't living up to it or vice versa, you know, where the writer is really being bailed out by, a, a, a talented storyteller who knows how to take what they were trying to do and morph it into something that actually works on the comic page. Um, so, I mean, I think, I, I think it can be a double-edged sword, even when just looking at artists, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I routinely tell uh, um, artists that I'm seeing in portfolio reviews is that I want to see the different stages of the work. I want to see not just your finished pages, but I want to see how you got to those finished pages. I want to see the pencils, and then I want to, I want to see the thumbnails. Um, and maybe not for every page in your portfolio, but for at least some of, the, some of them, because otherwise, how do I know where the breakdown is? You know, maybe your penciling and your rendering in pencil is fantastic, and you're just butchering it on the inks. Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. maybe your inking is what's saving everything, and, and really all of your, all the places that you're falling down are, are in the, the storytelling stage when you're doing layouts. And it's really hard to pinpoint that if you don't have a full view of the different stages of work. And I don't think that uh, comic book writers are any different than that. I mean, I think, you know, without being able to kind of compartmentalize and look at each aspect of it individually, it's really hard to tell where things are working and where things aren't, uh, particularly if, it, if it's a sample that isn't, you know, fully mature or, or fully working. You know, if it's a great sample or, or a great uh, story that you've put together with a prospective artist, um, you know, then, yeah, we know it's great, but, how, you know, where that greatness is, is kind of coming from, uh, you know, whether it, it's uh, weighted more heavily towards one of the parts or another, or whether the, the collaboration is just greater than the sum of its parts, it's hard to tell without being able to look at those individual elements. Um, and there's nothing more heartbreaking than, than having 
something come in that you know where where somebody has already brought in an artist to to help them execute uh their script and and like you said the artist you know isn't up to snuff with you know what we would like to see out of it and thus making it a a project that you know we feel like we can't take on or, or couldn't get behind right right um, but like that said like like uh you know you were talking about uh, with with Robert it is it's so much easier if you're if you're only if you only have an editor uh, attention for 5 minutes it's mm-hmm. so much easier to to spend that 5 minutes reading through a comic than it is through script pages or or you know a pitch document or anything else right um so it's kind of a double edged sword and you, you have to be careful uh how you proceed to make sure that that you're taking the most out of your uh opportunities without uh accidentally hindering yourself um by pairing with an inappropriate uh or imbalanced uh creative partner or collaborator. Right. Now in terms of of your position as an editor uh and in terms of working with uh the talent um uh, I've spoken to a number of of writers and a lot of comic book writers especially when they're on a book for a number of uh, for a long period of time or they're working with artists they've worked with before, or it's a creator-owned project. Uh, the scripts are sort of the that sort of old Marvel-style plot script where there's just, this is what happens in the book, make it happen, um, as opposed to sort of, uh, you know, more of a script, panel-by-panel uh, panel script uh, that's more complete. Um, do you, as an editor... Uh, require that kind of, of detail so you can understand exactly where they're going so they don't sort of go off the rails or do some co- creators just literally have that plot style script because maybe they're the artist slash writer as a whole well i i think you know for the most part even the guy even the art writer artists or cartoonists that we work with mm-hmm. um still like they still end up turning in a script. Sometimes it's more, it's closer to like a screenplay format than mm-hmm. a traditional paneled graphic novel format, or sometimes it's a hybrid of, a, of scripts and layouts, particularly if they're an artist, because if they're already starting to think visually, it doesn't make any sense for, you know, a cartoonist necessarily to break down panel by panel, sure. uh, uh, shot by shot in in the script phase, because they're going to be drawing it. They know what, what it is. You know, they that time is much better spent, like, actually starting the thumbnailing process and figuring out how the storytelling is going to lay out on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest... The, every script and every uh, you know every every writer script format and every creative collaboration is a little different. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. In in my experience, it's been very rare that that I've worked with anybody that has relied on that that old school straight up Marvel style. Right. There have definitely been writers who defer more to a screenplay style where they where they kind of mapped out all the dialogue and beats, but leave the actual page construction. Um, and and paneling to the artists, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, in in my experience, you know, working from plot to straight to art, and then going back and dialoguing, it's it's not an incredibly nuanced way to work right. uh, in a collaboration. Again, I think it's different if you're a cartoonist and and it's all kind of in your head um 
but but yeah, I mean, we we definitely prefer people to uh, approach it in a more traditional script format. And it doesn't again, it doesn't have to be a super tight script format, but but something that is a little bit more whole than I think the th than uh, the style that you're talking about, which is a little bit uh, more of, of kind of giving an artist or, uh, a notion right. or you know a very loose structure outline, and then you know having them turn it around. Right. Now, a lot of listeners, readers, I'm assuming are coming from a position being aspiring creators, and um, some may not have a great uh, knowledge base uh, for the industry. Um, so maybe sort of as a basic level, can you maybe explain to me what your, your job is as editor-in-chief? Or, you know, what does an editor do in the comic book world? Um, you know, I think it, it, one of the biggest difference between a comic book editor and just a, a regular traditional uh, fiction editor in prose is there's a lot more project management uh, mm -hmm. that goes on uh, with comic book editing. Um, most of the time, you know, we're working with creative teams and collaborations, and sometimes that collaboration is, you know, small in scope. It's, you know, just a cartoonist and you may be a letterer, and sometimes, it's, you know, it's just a cartoonist. But because of the, the visual aspect of it, even when it's just a cartoonist, there's still a lot more to interface in terms of with uh, our production and design department mm -hmm. and, you know, figuring out the, the correct visual pre presentation for the whole thing. Um, you know, my day-to-day -day is, is very uh, varied. Like, I don't it, – it, it's rarely consistent from, uh, you know, a Monday to a Tuesday to a Wednesday. Uh, it's a lot of reading. Uh, you know, we we look uh, at the project at every stage of development. So, you know, it's working with uh, creators on outlines and keeping them on task and moving them to the script phase and, you know, eventually getting in, into the art and finally seeing it through. Um, it's being the advocate for the project uh, within the publishing house. So, you know, making sure um, that, everything is on track, you know, with our design and production departments, with our marketing departments, you know, basically being the, the uh, uh, you know, creators eyes and ears inside the company and, and keeping them in the loop as to what's going on with their project and, you know, what uh, uh, both obstacles and advantages that we're, we're looking at, you know, with any given book. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and like any, uh, creative endeavor, you know, it's a lot of interfacing with the actual creator and, and uh, helping them uh, to realize their vision and, and uh, helping pull work out of them in a way that works. Right. Um, well, and again, comparing sort of publishing companies, traditional book publishing companies and uh, comic book publishing companies, um, you, you had said that, uh, that uh, at Oni Press, you tend to have a long tail, uh, a long lead time uh, before publishing a book. Uh, I believe you had said something like six to nine. Yeah, we're, we're a, right now our standard operating procedure is, is um, 40 weeks, uh, four right. zero. So we're typically, we like to have, if it's a graphic novel project, we like to have that graphic novel 
um, in-house and drawn uh, uh, 40 weeks or about nine months before uh, publication. Uh, and that, what that does is that allows uh, our production and design department to have adequate time, um, you know, to, to finalize the book layout and book design. Um, it gives our operations director uh, enough time to uh, properly source the vendors for producing the book, um, you know, with the uh, longer page count graphic novels and, and some of the uh, more interesting uh, things that we've been doing with uh, book design lately. Um, a lot of that stuff, you know, we're, we're sourcing with uh, foreign vendors that are overseas. And so, you know, just the act of getting the book printed and shipped back over to North America can that can eat, you know, three to four months of your lead time right there. Right. Uh, and then finally, you know, having um, a uh, enough time with our marketing department to get review copies out to uh, both the book and direct market uh, press, as well as uh, in the hands of retailers who are going to be uh, ordering these books, both for the book market, uh, which typically, you know, buyers for the book market typically order. Um, anywhere from four to six months ahead of release. And uh, also with the direct market who don't have to order quite so far in advance, but are also ordering non-returnable. So having the books in-house ahead of time allows us to to do a couple things. It allows us you know, to, to hit the marketing harder, to have more time on the production end, um, but also to, to uh, have our retail partners in both the book and the direct market uh, order with confidence, knowing that when we say something is going to come out on a given date, um, that they know that it, that it is, and that they are going to have access to be able to to uh, see what that product looks like well before uh, it's released, so that they can order accordingly. Right, right, and I know that's something that you're that you guys at Oni Press are very good about. When you solicit something, uh, yeah, it comes out when you say it's going to. You're very consistent about that, which is... Uh... Yeah, it, and it's definitely... I mean, it hasn't always been that way, sure. um, but we, in the last uh, several years, you know, we, we really uh, made it a mandate that we wanted to to hit all of our ship dates and, and uh, behave and publish in a, in a more responsible manner. And uh, George Rohack, our operations director, uh, has really, you know, really, really took the ball and ran with that. And, and I know we made it through 2011 without missing a single ship date. And, right. Um, our 2012 has been off to a great start too. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely something that as an entire company we we view as important and a priority in terms of our workflow. Right. Right. That's great. Um, now. Um... There's there's a sort of a constant conversation in the publishing world um, about whether ebooks uh, will sort of kill the market for hard copy books will sort of uh, put majority of bookstores out of business um, and I know comics are starting to become very popular in terms of e-comics uh, and getting them from Comicsology and places like that. Um, what but generally again the difference being the comic books are tend to be a collector's items. That people collect comics, they put them in bags and boards and put them away and they, they keep them. Uh, so what sort of effect do you think uh, e-comics would ha are going to have on the comic industry? How will it change the comic industry? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's only for the better. I think that, you know, there's a couple different ways that it, it we're seeing that change start to take effect. And I think, you know, I think the worst thing that, 
know, we can do is, is be cannibalizing our existing readership uh, for digital. Because uh, I don't think it has to be the same um, audience. I think that we have so many uh, different readers that we can have available to us uh, in the e-market that aren't that would never set foot in a comic book store. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that that's really gaining a larger readership and and um, gaining readers uh, is something that the e-publishing and the, uh, the digital revolution with all of the new e-readers can really uh, help uh, facilitate that, that audience growth. Um, you know, I mean, comics with their collectability definitely uh, stand out. And I think even aside from comics, just uh, books as design objects um, are, are not going anywhere. I think people still like uh, to have that physical thing in their hands. You know, it's possible that people will get more picky uh, about what they own in, in print and what they're happy to have just in, in a digital format. Right. Um, but I don't think that that'll necessarily mean an end to to print. I mean, in any time that you know new technology emerges, there's always changes. I mean, you look where. Well, I think this year we're we're 30 years into the compact disc. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's not like there isn't a vinyl market out there. Sure. Uh, and granted, that that's a little bit of a of a bad example just because <laughs> the vinyl market is so small and niche. Right. Uh, and I don't think print comics are in in danger of becoming that marginalized. But even you know, 30 years after this supposedly superior formatting has been released, you know, there there's still there's still new material being put out on vinyl, uh, and there's still a market for that. Um, and it's a, it's a different market than, um, you know, the people who are just buying MP3s or, uh, you know, music on iTunes. Um, so, I mean, I think that for us, the challenge is, is finding ways to really uh, reach readers in that uh in on the e-reader platforms and giving them um, content that they find compelling and you know are, are able to immediately uh, a, a identify with and um, you know be, become fanatic about uh, to a certain extent. So right. Um, now, only you guys publish mostly non-superhero titles. Um, is that sort of a company philosophy or preference, or do you think the market is sort of saturated, obviously, with Marvel and DC and Image, with superhero books, uh, that you decide to focus your energies elsewhere? I mean, I think it's a variety of things. I mean, I think for a, a large part of it, yeah, it, it's down to it being a market that's being served. Um, there's if, if For fans of those kinds of of stories and that kind of material, there are so many options out there mm-hmm. um, that you know we're much happier concentrating on uh, stuff that's a little bit more off the beaten path and uh, for audiences that aren't uh, you know quite as well served as what the comic market is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I, but I think the second part of it is true as well. It's just like at the point that uh, 
you know, I'm at and Joe, our publisher, is at, and I think even, you know, with a lot of uh, our, our staff here at the office, you know, we don't have like a hate on for superheroes by any stretch of the imagination, and a lot of our our friends and compatriots are working on those books, and and uh, I, I understand the allure of working on those books, but it's just it's not where our interest lies. And at the end of the day, you know, we're publishing books that we're passionate about, and it's it's very rare for us to get that emotional response, that that passion uh, for for the the capes and tights stuff. We just right. Our, our interests are in other stories and other uh, and other genres. Right, right. Different kinds of characters. Well, this is just a quick plug. Um, free comic day a few days ago. Um, I picked up your guys's one of your guys's free comics, Bad Medicine, which I thought was it, it was very cool. It's sort of a CSI meets Hollow Man kind of thing. Although again, halfway through, I had no idea where you were going with it, which kind of made it cool. Um, and I'm still not 100% sure where what it's all about, meaning the different characters, uh, what their relationship is with each other, their history and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it made me want to reading more. So, uh, when, when does bad medicine come out actually? The, the, um, in, really... hold on. uh, the, like you said, the first issue came out, uh, for free comic book day. Right. And then, um, are you going to be re-releasing the first issue for people who we are get... re-releasing yeah. the first issue, uh, in, uh, conjunction with issue two. And those both come out on June 13th. There's a retail version of issue one and issue two. And by the end of issue two, you should have a much clearer, uh, idea of like what the ground rules are for the series. Um, One of the things uh, that's kind of exciting to me about what we're doing with Bad Medicine in in terms of a floppy uh, serial is that we're keeping everything um, paced fairly tightly. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, we're not doing any story arcs that exceed three issues. And uh, most of them, you know, we're we're trying to keep in that one to two range. So our opening, uh, the, the, uh, Basic uh, high concept of the of the book is that it's a medical horror procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, our our first case uh, takes place over issues one and two and kind of tackles uh, the Invisible Man uh, type of, of conundrum and looking at it from kind of a medical uh, perspective. Um, and then uh, from then we'll move on to our second arc that starts in issue three that uh, deals with. Uh, lycanthropy and uh, mm-hmm. a werewolf outbreak. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, like you said, it, it, it's more comparable to a lot of uh, procedural fiction than a lot of what's going on in comics, and mm-hmm. it definitely hits that. You know, this is the the way that they're setting things up in issues one and two is that this is going to be the team that the CDC, uh, you know, dispatches to investigate things that have no medical. Uh, explanation uh, and and to kind of determine what the science behind why these things are happening is happening. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and I thought it was it did a really good job of that. Um, having obviously seen in CSI, but read uh, the pilot and 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 seen a lot of the procedural stuff. Uh, this is a I think it's a great sort of amalgam, like you said, of the sort of horror. Um, sci-fi horror genre and uh, that that sort of procedural uh, crime 
medical drama, I guess it would be. Um, so no, I enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, if uh, if you can go still grab a Bad Medicine number one, you should. Um, it's uh, entertaining and interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask you, just uh, as a side that we were talking about uh, submissions and things like that, just I was just curious, as I was coming up with, with things that I wanted to discuss with you, um, have you rejected any project that sort of later turned up being published by somebody else? And even if it wasn't your type of project, you didn't connect with it, uh, but maybe you regretted it just a little. Um, you know, I I don't think so. I, uh, there are definitely projects uh, that have been pitched to us that have been picked up at other places, um, some successful, some not. Um, you know, one of the bigger uh, su- successes is uh, by a creative team that I I like a, a great deal, and I really enjoy uh, the book that they're that they do and and are doing. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, that with where we were at at the time that it was pitched, that it would have been as successful from us. Um, in part because of the content, in part because of where we were at as a company, in part because of uh, you know a, a different uh, set of creatives that maybe were attached to it at the time. Um, you know, there, I, I, I'm really uh, happy with our publishing line, and I think that the stuff, well, not uh, you know, not everything is always going to fire uh, on all cylinders all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think our, our hit ratio is definitely higher than, than most uh, people's average. And, um, you know, we, we try not to look back and look forward. There, there are definitely um, projects uh, or pitches that I would have handled differently, uh, you know, that came in maybe before I, before I was an editor uh, or editor in chief back when I was still an associate editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there are definitely some folks that I thought you know were talented and we should be working with that were harder sells uh, at Oni at the time. That I, you know, I, I wish that we had been able to make it work. But at the same time, you know, everything happens for a reason, and and we're more concerned about what we're going to do tomorrow than what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I guess lastly, we have a section we call rapid fire, which is just uh, a half a dozen or so questions um, that are sort of either or questions or sort of a fill in the blank question. Um, so, yeah. So let's see here. Okay. Um, Krispy Kreme or Voodoo Donuts? Oh, Voodoo. Okay. Um, now, Oni is sort of the Japanese term for sort of demon or troll. So a better Oni, Hellboy or Satan from South Park? Oh, that's tough. I, I, I'm going to say Hellboy just because <laughs> it, for me, the the thing with the Oni is, is always the there's an element of mischief, of, sure. of, of tricksteriness mm-hmm. to it. And while the, the, the trickster aspect doesn't necessarily apply to Hellboy, I, I think that Hellboy is a little bit more uh, mischief-making uh, in terms of his personality and probably fits with us a little bit more. Good. Okay. Um, now, uh, Eraser or Whiteout? Oh, um, Eraser. Okay. Um, who would win in a fight, Billy Pilgrim from Slaughterhouse-Five or Scott Pilgrim? 
Wow. That's a tough one. Um, I, I, that is, that is a very <laughs> difficult, I, I think, you know, I, I think Scott would probably take him just because he is the, uh, the, the greatest, uh, fighter in the province of Ontario, but, sure. uh, uh, you know, I, I, could see it being a close or too close to call. Um, now you guys put out Queen. Now, I have to ask Kevin. Did, did yeah. you you did you know that my son is named Vonnegut? I didn't <laughs> know that. that no. question? Okay. That... <laughs> so then it was an extremely hard choice for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, you guys do Queen and Country, so better Queen, Queen Latifah or Queen Amidala from Star Wars? Oh, Queen Latifah, without question. Very cool. Um, and uh, better country. Well, I guess they're more lands than countries. Uh, Disneyland or Legoland? Oh, wow. I know you're a Lego fanatic. I, I am a, a, a Lego nut, but... Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I am going to go with, with, uh, with Lego over Disney. It, that's, that's a tough one, too, but um, <laughs> uh, the, the whole play well thing I, I think is, is just too too good of an overriding philosophy for me to ignore um and vonnegut does have the coolest name ever that uh is now official um yeah that's that's awesome i didn't know that. <laughs> that's great um well that's all the time we have for now uh again as always it's a pleasure james uh you can check out oh, thank you so much oni press titles at onipress.com uh, like the Eisner Award-winning Scott Pilgrim, Whiteout, Queen and Country, many, many more. Uh, we can also be found at scriptsandscribes.com, so please check out our website for more information. Um, and if you would like, you can uh, follow uh, James on Twitter at, at James Lucas Jones. I like how there's always that at, at. Um, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptsscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptsscribes. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.